We read in yesterday's Torah reading one of the most famous quotes in the Torah. The Jewish people in preparation of receiving the Torah declared, Nasa v'nishma. We will do and we will hear. And much is made of this quotation that the Jewish people before saying we will hear said Nasa, we will do. And the lesson of that and the point of that is, is commonly said that the Jewish people said we accept all the commandments of God, no questions asked. Truth be told, if you look both in yesterday's Torah reading and in the preceding Shabbos' Torah reading, we have the, the quote sometimes Nasa, we will do. We will do without even saying we will hear also makes the point. So Nasa v'nishma, we will do and we will hear, we will listen, clearly carries with it a unique idea. Uh, the Gemara and Shabbos says that when the Jewish people declared Nasa v'nishma, each member of the Jewish people received two crowns. One for the statement of Nasa, we will do. One for the statement of nishma, we will hear. So this certainly connotes that it's more than just a technical necessity to find out what the rules are. Many ideas stated by the commentators about what is the nuance between Nasa and Nishma, and why do you have to say both? But one idea that I like to reflect on frequently is Nishma is not necessarily you'll tell us the rules. Nishma is we'll listen, we'll think about it, we'll reflect on the words of this Torah, and that therefore the Jewish people are really saying two very different things, each one worthy of receiving a crown. One is Nasa, God, whatever you tell us, will do. The other is Nishma, we see an inherent value in hearing the word of God, in reading the word of God, in reflecting on the word of God. Besides the fact that these are the instructions, there's so many lessons to be learned from them. And I think when we reflect on the very beautiful life and deeds of Dr. Fred Jadik, Zichron Lavracha, Asher Zelig, Ben Moshe Meir Halevi. I think this idea about what Nasev Nishma means is extremely, extremely appropriate. I, I just want to say that I, obviously I know Dr. Jadik as a congregant. My relationship with Dr. Jadik goes back many years before, before becoming, uh, serving in the rabbinate of this shul. Uh, the Jadiks are, are very dear friends of the Rosenbaum family, and I've known Dr. Jadik well for over 30 years. I want to reflect on some of the very inspiring things I picked up from Dr. Jadik about this character trait of being a Shomea, a true listener to the word of the Torah. We had the privilege, whether families, whether I, I studied here in the yeshiva, many times I was a guest at the Jadik's table, I sat at many Shabbos tables, many other contexts with Dr. Jadik, and many, many times I was asked to share a Dvar Torah. From my teenage years, I could be asked to share a Dvar Torah. And it's, it's, it's funny what sticks with you. It, it, it's a very strong image in my mind, happening to be sitting next to Dr. Jadik, and him pivoting his body to hear what I have to say, and fully, fully focusing on every word. And even at the time, it, 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 it really struck me, because here you have this person many, 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 many years his junior, and he was so interested in what I had to say. And of course, there was a lovely interpersonal conduct with that, but when I look back, I suspect it was more than that. It was the fact that I was sharing words of Torah. Much later, Dr. Jadik demonstrated to so many people his tremendous passion in being a Shomea. After he retired, Dr. Jadik made it his business to be a very regular attendee at Shiurim, at the Yeshiva of Greater Washington, the Yeshiva Gedola, and it was a very special thing to see. First of all, you have to realize that Dr. Jadik would sit there at the shiurim. He, I, I think he was most commonly an attendee at Rabbi Reingold's shiurim, I think so. But uh, he would sit there at the shiurim with people decades his junior, and he was the only one remotely in his age group. And he would really sit there. I, I remember being in the room, observing with admiration from a distance, really Ketalmud HaYoshev of Neirabo. His whole body language was of such uh, humility 
and just wanting to hear. Uh, as, as he grew older, mobility was more and more of a challenge for Dr. Jadik. And before he was completely homebound, he would need to come, sometimes he would need to come with, with some type of cane. Sometimes he would need to be wheeled in. And he would come. And he would come just to, just to hear words of Torah. Uh, unfortunately, when he reached the point of being homebound, the ability to learn with people was, I, I think, the greatest chesed people could do for him that they made time to learn with him b'chavrusa. And the fact that that's the thing that would energize a person carries with it a remarkable lesson for all of us. I want to say one more thing about Dr. Jadik as a Shomea. There are numerous quotes in the Talmud and other rabbinic sources that talk about the great value of paying honor to Torah scholars, wanting to connect with Torah scholars, and I think many of us relate to that idea, and we relate to it as some type of Judaic etiquette. And, uh, you know, I guess it's Derech it's what's appropriate, you're supposed to be respectful to people older than you, or you're supposed to be respectful to people who know more Torah than you, whatever, add it to the list of, of people I'm supposed to respect. And, and, of course, the idea is deeper than that. The idea is that we believe that the words of Torah are, they are our very life source, and therefore, if we meet a person who, to us, represents Torah knowledge, it's so important to treat that person with respect for our own sake, because think of all the lessons they carry with them. And the way Dr. Jadik related to Tamidei Chacham and to Torah scholars was, was really something that we could all learn from. You'll forgive me for going back so far. I'm not exactly sure why I remember this, but clearly it made an impression on me. So my bar mitzvah was in this room. And I, uh, my parents had to set up the seating for the tables. And I don't, please don't ask me the details that much. I don't remember. But I remember my mother telling me she had to figure out who to put at the Einimer's table. And I guess normally we put all rabbis together. There weren't that many rabbis together. Who should sit at the Einimer's table? And I remember, don't ask me who else sat at the Einimer's table, but I remember my mother telling me flat off, we're going to put the Jadiks at the Einimer's table because it'll mean so much to Dr. Jadik to get to sit with Rabbi Einimer. And that was the kind of person that he was. Uh, I, I, I saw many times in the room that he spent so many of his days and nights over the final period of his life. There were a few pictures in the room, and one of them was a very lovely picture of himself with Rabbi Einimer. Uh, it was very, very clear that he considered it a great, great schus, a great opportunity to learn from and interact with, with Rabbi Lapiansky and Rabbi Reingold. And, and this all runs back to the tremendous priority he placed in his life on learning Torah and on people who were knowledgeable in Torah. He obviously was also certainly an Oset. We've spoken so much about him being a listener to the words of Torah. He was a fulfiller of the words of Torah in many, many ways. Obviously, he was very diligent in his mitzvah observance. But on behalf of the shul, I, I want to specifically note his tremendous devotion to our congregation and community in serving as a gabbai for many, many years. He was a gabbai in the, the, what was originally the University Boulevard Morning Minion, and I remember him more vividly as a gabbai and frequently a stand-in for learning to Minchan Marv at the daily Minchan Marv Minyan. And uh, I mentioned this at the Shiva, I know, but another picture of Dr. Jadik that stays so firmly in my mind. We used to be, for those who remember, now we're in the main sanctuary, we used to be in the, the, the base medrash on the other side of the building. And uh, in his last years as a gabbai here in the shul, it was very clearly difficult for Dr. Jadik to get around. And for anyone who can envision the base medrash upstairs, the aisles are not necessarily as wide as might be comfortable for some. And I would be so struck at the end of davening, Dr. Jadik, and there are light switches on two ends of the, of the back of the room, and you can't turn them all off in one spot. Dr. Jadik would walk from one end of the room to the other end of the room, but he had to kind of like go around the front, just watching him walk to turn off the lights. He was doing for the show. I, I, I would like to think 
that myself or others would offer to turn off lights. If I remember correctly, he felt it was his job. It was his responsibility and it was for him to do. One more thing in that mode, I, I remember there was someone who also served as a gabai and actually would be the first substitute for a Ba'in Rizachron of Racha for learning to Minchan Mariv, and that was Rabbi Jacob Wiener's Zechronal of Racha. And Rabbi Wiener was not as mobile as Dr. Jadik was. And I remember watching, when Dr. Jadik was a little bit more mobile, I remember watching how much Dr. Jadik would look after Rabbi Wiener. And Dr. Jadik, there was going to be a day that Rebbe Wiener would learn. Dr. Jadik would make sure the Mishnah Brewer was open to the right page. And he would hand it to Rebbe Wiener. And he considered himself, and you saw it in the body language, he considered himself honored to be assisting Rebbe Wiener. And to me, these, forgive the, the, just the pictures, but, but to me, these pictures are really who he was. He was a person who was so passionate about the study of Torah, passionate about honoring Torah scholars, passionate about doing for the community. He truly was an osa, a doer, and a shomea, and a listener, he who listened with great interest to words of Torah. But if I may say for a moment, there's one more inspirational image that I hope to keep in my mind for many years to come, and that is of Mrs. Jadik. Mrs. Jadik, who in her own right has done much in our community as a teacher, as a teacher of young children, and in recent years as a teacher of adults, a very popular teacher of both young children and adults, certainly a shomea, certainly a person who has great appreciation for Torah study, a good thought, a good question, a good answer herself. And to see over these past years how literally Yom Velayla, day and night, Mrs. Jadik's life utterly revolved around her husband was a very inspiring thing to see and a very beautiful thing to see. And to a, a family of learners and teachers, I guess the hope I would express is that both within the family and to so many, whether it be a person we happen to see him at Shul, whether it be a, a person we happen to sit at a Shabbos table with him, whether it be a person we happen to see him in the base medrash, the, the memories of Dr. Fred Jadik as a true Eved Hashem, a true servant of God, a true Osa Vishomeya, should stay strong for many, many years to come and be a source of inspiration to many. I'd like to ask Rabbi Shmuel Lee, the director of the Golden Network, who was involved many times in studying with Dr. Jadik at his home, to share thoughts. Just about Bon and all those gathered here. First, thank you, Mrs. Jadik, for allowing me to share some memories. Appreciate it. Also, thank you, Rabbi Rosenbaum, who introduced me to Dr. Jadik many years, eight, nine years ago. And I've gained a lot from the learning and from seeing his Tarach uh, Appreciate it. The last few weeks since Dr. Jadik's passing had been difficult, and especially at the time and day when we learned together. It was Sunday at 3 o'clock. And if you notice, when is this gathering scheduled for? Sunday at 3 o'clock. And that gives me great comfort that together, one more time, in a certain way, the Shem is here, and uh, you know, there's something special at this moment. And um, one more time. We'll be together and we'll learn. We have heard words of Torah and it'll be one more, one more visit with all of us. In Pashas Yisroi, we read two weeks ago, we read about Matan Torah, the getting of the Torah in Hasina. It's hard to imagine what was that event. If the sun would come down in this room, we would disappear. So Hashem created the sun, comes down in Hasina. So there was Choshech, Honor, Barofel. There was clouds, there was, there was darkness. There was a Kol Shofer, Chazak It was an incredible experience. And we could think it's distant, it's far, okay, our ancestors, you know, 
the nice thing we read about. But we're told, we're taught many places in the Torah that we are charged every single day to experience and feel Matan Torah. We say it in Shema. And these words, every single day, when they came to our Sinai, so we're supposed to look at the Torah like it's this letter from the most important person in the world, and we're going to look at it with enthusiasm and excitement and love, and that's what we have to feel every day. And for many people, including myself before I met Dr. Janik, what was the question? Matan Torah, thousands of years ago, and the shamans were there. And then, if you saw Dr. Jadiklan, you'd have that question. And I know Avi Kotak, I don't know if you're here, he always talked about your Harusa with him, the Mishnah, and everyone else. His posture, his awe. He was at Arsina. He was standing there. And it didn't matter where he was learning. So we started learning the kitchen at the table. And then as time went on, it was on the bed. He was sitting up on the bed. See, the learning will be a little, you know what I mean? Same. No difference. And we all know you wake up in the morning until you get dressed. You don't feel like, you don't feel good. You, know, you get dressed, you take on the day. You're not feeling well. You're not dressed. You're just not, you don't have it with, you're not ready to take on the day and, and, and really feel like a, a person. And there were years when he wasn't able to get dressed in a way that's dignified, that all of us have that opportunity. But he was dignified inherently because the Torah, when he learned, it didn't make a difference what he was wearing. You feel, oh, yeah, you feel, how do you learn? Like, you didn't, you stood, you sat there, it was like, is unbelievable. And his health was irrelevant when he learned. Two, you, if you remember, two weeks, the last time I, I, we learned, it was two weeks before he, his passing out, but you may remember this. And I was very concerned because he was breathing. It was very difficult for him to breathe. And I was like, he was like gasping. I'm like, I'm going to call 911. And I run to the kitchen to you, and I say, he's breathing. You say, no, the doctor's coming, it's under control, whatever. And then I came back. But what was amazing is Dr. Jadik is sitting on his bed, oblivious. It's not, this is my problem. That's not his problem. And he's sitting there with the safer. And like when I'm ready and I'm calmed down, and then we, we just continue learning. Just, nothing happened. Maybe someone's really, but that was him. But really, as long as it's coming, you know, I can get the words out. It, was, it didn't make a difference what his health was. It was Matan Torah, and that was the image. And that, that's an incredible gift that I had to see from him. We learned what I would call Shulchan Aruch Express that only Dr. Jada could do. So we, we learned Mr. Bura with the Mr. Shochanar uh, and Ramo with the Mr. Buras, and he'd go through the Shochanar pretty quickly, and then he had a gift to pick out the exact points, the important points that he had to, you know, which everything's important, but there were specific ideas that we have to go in in depth, and he would stop there, and we would go in and, and go in a little deeper, and we were able to go through the first, second, third, and begin the fourth volume of Mr. Bura. Recently, a few, uh, Months before his passing, which he returned to me today, which I will always cherish. But this gift, able to learn quickly and stop and see, you know, what do I have to, what's important here? And this gift of not just running over things, but even when you learn quickly to see the important points and stop and ask, you couldn't run it, you couldn't put anything over him. You saw he knew exactly when there was something, there was a discrepancy, a question, something to, to look into. So when I came on Sundays, he would say, Oh, I have a question for you. Well, I was doing Shnayim Mikha Bechatarka, did a practice to go through the Torah portion with the commentary of the Unklis every week. And for many people, unfortunately, they, they read through it. Hardly, you know, we should we try to understand it. But he said, I have a question. What's this? You know, I saw something. I said, oh, wow, I never saw that. So one example is Pashat Noach. Something that, in, in Pashat Noach, it, 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 many examples, I'll just share one, to, you'll see how he was able to point, to, to learn and see things like that. So it lists the sons of B'nai Noah. The sons of Noah, and it says, over there you look, it says that these children of Noah, they were, they were split up according to their countries, according to their languages. They were speaking different languages. And then, 30-some verses later, it says, that, he, that, that the, uh, 
that the, the world, the nations, they were united. And they had one language, and they were united to come with this plan against God. He says, I don't understand. They're speaking different languages already, and we know that after the dispersion, after God's dispersion, only after that they were speaking different languages. So what is it? It says already they're speaking different languages. Then you're united with one language, and then only after that they're speaking different languages. So weren't they speaking different languages before? So this is the type of question that he would ask, and, and it was enlightening. And, and a lesson to see just how one has to look, even when they're doing something quickly, look into it, you could, you could see really what, 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 uh, what the material has in it. He was very connected, not only to the Torah, but also to his sparring. His sparring were like p- parts of his body, literally. He, he probably learned with the, uh, the addition of Mishra Brewer that he used probably was 50 or 60 years old. Maybe he got it in, in, when he was in the Sifta. Really, really old. It, it was very hard to read. The lettering was difficult. He would try. He would sit there like, trying to read. And I would try to... So he suggested, you know, in the last 70 years, they've come with new editions, you know. They're only $10, you know. And so when we started the second or third volume, I even bought him one. And then he was very, you know, respectful. And then a few weeks later, he gave it back to me and said... You know, thank you. I'll just keep with my own. And it wasn't until we started the fourth volume, which you returned to me, this Hilchus Erevin and, and this nice pictures and scenarios, it's diagrams. I said, come on. So he said, fine. But he didn't even write his name in it. I, I could return it almost to, to the. He just took it like maybe to make me feel good or something. But why were you so connected? What was it? What was it? And like we said, his. Not only the Torah was like, but the books that he toiled. He worked with them for years. He couldn't just give it away. It was part of him. The farm was so much part of him that he couldn't part with them in any way. So that's who he was. So anyone who knows Dr. Jadik could testify he wasn't someone who spoke South Ashtasif. If he had a way, or he made a decision, he wasn't unwavering. He, was he kept to it. He was unwavering about it. And, and he was knowledgeable. He's a Talmud Chacham. He was connected to all the Rabbanim, Talmud Chachamim. He was someone who had a background, and he didn't just say things. So if you made a decision, he had a reason for it. And, he, and unless you had a compelling reason, he wouldn't really change his mind. But what's unique about him is that he knew that there was another opinion. So many people say, yeah, I think this way, but there's no other way. But he understood there's another way. He once shared with me a story. He used to have a minion in his house for a yurt site for his, for his uh, father or mother. He would gather together a minion, and he would be the chazan. And the baltzvila, okay, he would leave the service. And then, most of the time, he would do that. So after, one of the times, after these, these minyanin, one of the congregants of this you know, makeshift minion came to him and said that, you know, Dr. Jadik, I'm not coming back. I don't like you, Don. I don't know the issue. He was doing it too slow, too fast, or something. Then he's not coming back. So he tells me the next Sunday, he says, I understand this guy. You know, he felt he was doing it right, whatever it was. He said, I understand. This guy doesn't want to come. And uh, it's no problem. I accept. But he, he, he brought it up to me, so he's thinking about it. But if you do something, you think it's right, and, 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 you, and after thought, you decide that that's the right way to go. But that's greatness. To say, no, there's another opinion. I understand that. That's okay. And I saw this in other, other times also, that, that he was someone who could have an opinion, but still be accepting of others. But I just want to end you know, thanking you, Mrs. Jadik, seeing your care and your love and, and what you did for his life, and especially his learning. We were learning at the table in the kitchen, so you would prepare the these fruit, you come with this fruit, you go to the whole county or, or state to buy the most beautiful fruit available. And then if you couldn't find the perfect one, you would apologize. I went to Costco, they don't have it. I went to Shalom, so I have to make do with something else. And like, it was on China, it was ice water, it was, it was like a wedding, it was beautiful. The learning was beautiful, the refreshments was beautiful, and that's unforgettable, you know, to your, your caring and love, because it's so important to you. He's up love. This is Esther Jack. Just a follow-up, Rabbi. 
very often he would tell me Sunday morning, cancel Rabbi Lee, I'm not feeling well. And I would say to him, no, we're not canceling because after you learn with Rabbi Lee, you feel better. And I did not cancel. So all the times that you came and he wanted, and it was true. When you left, he was much better. Okay, this is the Hesped that I delivered at the uh, funeral. Uh, Fred was born in Vienna, Austria in 1934. In 1938, the Germans invaded Austria. Although but a child, Fred remembered synagogues burning. He remembered the Nazis demanding the keys to his parents' store that they had owned. One night, the Nazis came looking for his father. His father was gone. His parents had prepared for this. His babysitter's brother had close ties with some Nazis. He took Fred's father, he took Fred's father and hid him in a church. Somehow his father got to England and was interned there in the Kitchener work camp. Fred and his mother were able to leave Austria to England in early 1939. They were Polish citizens and Hitler did not invade Poland until September 1st, 1939. In England, his mother worked as a cook in a Jewish restaurant in London. Fred was placed in a Jewish home for refugee children, and it was a devastating experience for him. The children received very little food because the home was run by unscrupulous people who kept the food allotment money for themselves. The only nourishing food Fred had was when his mother brought for, what his mother brought for him in her weekly visits to him. These traumatizing early years impacted Fred throughout his life. He turned his victimhood into survivor mode. He developed determination, persistence, and perseverance. Fred came to America when he was six years old. His parents enrolled him in public school. In the afternoons, he went to Hebrew school where he learned to read Hebrew and Davin. For some years, he attended yeshiva and was very drawn to the learning. He was also very determined to be Shomer Shabbat. He joined the Young Israel in Williamsburg where he befriended Hirsch Mendelowitz. I don't know how many of you remember Hirsch, whom he met many years later in Kent Mill and who served as a role model for him. As a young adult, Fred was taken, was very taken by learning the holy books. He was determined to learn Chumash, Mishnah, Gemara in depth. He felt that to understand these Sfarim, he needed to have a foundation in Hebrew grammar. So he bought a grammar book and studied it from cover to cover. Then he felt ready to go on in learning, Sifrei Kodesh. When he came across the word he did not understand, he would look it up immediately in the dictionary, which was always on the table by his side, by the side of the Sefer. He had patience and perseverance. His soul yearned for Hashem's Torah and for rabbinic writings. In essence, Fred was self-taught in Judaic learning initially. When he was well, Fred never turned down a Meshulach who came to the door. He would say, that could have been me begging for money. Even after one Meshulach stole our account information and Fred needed to close down that account, Fred continued giving. He gave cash until he opened a new checking account. By the end of the year, he made sure we had given 10% of our income to tzedakah. Bikr Cholim, visiting the sick, was another mitzvah very dear to Fred, Fred's heart. He would call and he would visit. Even when he could no longer drive to visit, he continued with his weekly phone calls, making sure they, would, they were done before bringing in Shabbos. Fred was an intellectually curious person, which stood him in good stead in learning and in secular subjects. When he retired, he joined the yeshivim at the yeshiva gadola in the mornings and became a golden idea at the University of Maryland in the afternoons. His interest was so varied. Among the many courses he took were Chinese history, jazz, 
gypsy culture, car mechanics, Renaissance art, world religions, photography, and not to be passed over, a barbanel. One of Fred's life's dreams was to get smicha. Although he did not realize this dream, he spent many pleasurable years studying in the yeshiva with Rabbi Lapigansky Shlita and Rabbi Rangold Shlita. His perseverance in learning prepared him to give a shir in Mishnah and Mishnah Brewer in Shul between Mincha and Mariv with Rabbi Einemer's Allah Shalom permission. Even when he couldn't get around independently, Fred attended Yeshirim and the yeshiva daily for many years. His non-Jewish male caregiver, which is with us today, who's with us, Alfred Stubblefield, also learned a lot from the Yeshirim, and they would discuss it when they came home. <laughs> when he could no longer attend the Yeshirim and the yeshiva, Fred continued learning at, at home on his own and arranged to learn with Chavrutot, with Avikotek on Shabbatot, and with Rabbi Lee on Sundays. All week, Fred looked forward to these sheyurim and made sure he prepared for them. When people called to pay a visit on the phone, they often shared a Dvar Torah with Fred. This lifted his spirits tremendously, and there was always a smile on his face when he hung up. People would ask me, what should I say to him? I said, give him a Dvar Torah, that you don't have to do anything else. Just give him a Dvar Torah. Fred was a member of Shomri Amuna when it was located in Ricks Park. Funds were being raised when the shul was relocating to University Boulevard. Fred stepped up to the plate and gave his, excuse me, gave his donation. In return, he received a high holiday seat for life for the annual fee of $2. And last year, each year, he would friend, fondly recount this episode. Fred attended Minion three times a day. When his health situation prevented him from doing that, he would daven at home at the same times that the shul davened, or that the yeshiva davened. In this way, he felt part of the minion. Over the years, Fred served as vice president and gabai of the shul. He attended sheyarim, annual dinners, various functions, and just as the young Israel of Williamsburg was his home, so was Shomri and Luna. He loved the shul, he loved the community. At this point, I would like to express my hakaratato, my appreciation, to all those in the community who have supported Fred in different ways over the years that he had been ill. My hakaratato to Rabbi Lapiansky Shlita, Rabbi Reingold Shlita, Rabbi Rosenbaum Shlita, and Rabbi Katz Shlita, whose visits always uplifted Fred's spirits. My hakaratato to Rabbi Lee, and Avi Kotek, who kept the fires burning within Fred to continue his learning. My Hakarat HaTov to Scott Schlesinger, Scott, are you? Scott Schlesinger and Larry Korn, <coughs> who graciously and frequently volunteered to take Fred to doctor appointments. <coughs> My Hakarat HaTov to the fine yeshiva Bachurim, who volunteered to take Fred to the yeshiva on Shabbos for davening and took care of his needs throughout the service. A number of years ago, they made him a surprise birthday party to drink a l'chaim with him. Did you know that? <laughs> okay. What's that? My hakarat told to all those who visited and or called to check in on Fred and reassure him that he was not forgotten, even though he was homebound for so many years. And last but certainly not least, my hakarata tov to all our relatives and friends outside of the community who have visited and called over the years to express their love and give Fred chizok. I am truly indebted to all of you, since extending help to the sick person also helps the caregiver. May Hashem bless you all with good health until 120. At this point, I would like to add, after the shiva and the weeks that followed, the few weeks that followed, my hakaraha told to this community for the outpouring of love, food, visits, donations, and phone calls. This is truly an outstanding community, and I feel privileged to be part of it. 
I would be remiss if I didn't add one more person to who, whom I am much indebted, Fred's caregiver, Alfred Stubblefield. Alfred was literally a shaliach, a messenger from Hashem. I was asking Hashem to please help me, and Alfred called. Literally, it just happened that way. He took, he took wonderful care of Fred, always ensuring his safety and his comfort. And this is what I added at the cemetery when Fred's body was lying there. And now, my dear husband, you had the wonderful midah of always apologizing to me if you felt you hurt me. I ask Mechila of you now for all the times I might have hurt you but hadn't realized it. I will always remember your love, your support, your kindness, your consideration and thoughtfulness of me. I love you and will miss you very much. Cousin Sholibasa. On the drive down here this morning, I was thinking of the so many beautiful memories that our family had from the many trips we would make, mostly for Shavuos, to come to, to Silver Spring to visit Fred and Esther, Maish and Annette, Aleha Shalom, and our beloved Aunt Rifki, Aleha Shalom, Maish and Esther's mother, and to spend time in this wonderful community. We came here for so many years that I believe we experienced the cicadas more than twice. <laughs> My parents, Alea Mashalom, almost couldn't wait for Shvuos. They so looked forward to spending time here. They were just beautiful, warm, happy times. And I remember my father even dancing with our Aunt Rifke in Maish and Annette's living room just the night before she passed away. She passed away the very next day on Shavuos while we were here. Fred and Esther would open their home to us, and the time here was full of laughter, delicious food, walks in the park, a little tennis, shopping at Lomans, <laughs> and the Torah Shavuos night, and the Zmiros and Torah at the Shabbos and Yom Tov tables. And I remember when Fred came into the family, we were all so excited when Esther got engaged. I believe Maish made the shidduch. And we were so happy to have Fred as part of our family. Fred was brilliant. A man of great yashras, honesty, humility, and integrity. And as we've heard, he looked to help others he was a Osek B'Tzarchei Tzibor. And as was mentioned, when he spoke to you, he spoke B'Nachas Ruach. He had a covered abrios, which was extraordinary, and a respect for his fellow man, and a covered Torah, and as was said, covered a Rabbanim, an honor for Torah, and a great honor for Rabbanim in Rashi Yeshiva, even if they were much younger than him. There was also a princely elegance to him. He wouldn't talk much about himself, though we did hear and felt the pain of his experiences through the war years. He came to America, as Esther said, at the young age, and Baruch Hashem, he accomplished. He was a graduate of Columbia University, I believe he did his postgraduate work at Cornell, and he received his doctorate at Johns Hopkins. 
And he spent most of his work years at the GOA, where I believe he was the assistant director. And he had many, many people working for him. He was Dr. Fred Jaddick. He was accomplished. There's a beautiful medrash that asks, what is the most essential, all-inclusive pasuk in the entire Torah? The one pasuk that would perhaps define Judaism to us. Benzoma said that it's the pasuk of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echod. Benana said it's the pasuk of the Ahafta L'Re'acha Kamocha. Ben Pazi said, it's the posuk of a sakevesa echa taase The first lamb shall be offered in the morning, referring to the carbon tumid, which was brought every day. And the Medrash concludes, Amara Ploni, Reploni said, Halacha ben Pazi. We paskin, we rule like Ben Pazi. The Medrash presents psukim which to some extent summarized the total content of the Torah. Benzoma says the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael places at the center of Judaism recognition of Hashem, to be obedient towards Hashem, and understanding his relationship with Kla Yisrael. Benana says, you should love your friend as yourself. And he mirrors Rabbi Akiva's statement of Zeklal Gadol Batora, that the mitzvot are signs and steps towards developing a more refined ethical personality and character. But what about Ben Pazi? Why does he mention the Pasuk related to the carbon Tamid? So the Maharal who is really the source of this medrash, explains that day in, day out consistency is the foundation of our Torah. While Ben Pazi certainly understands and agrees with the fundamental importance of Shema Yisrael and the Ahavta L'Reach Kamocha, it is the consistency, the day in, day out service to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is so important. We have to feel as if we are servants to Hashem and serve Him every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I believe that this Medrash certainly defines who Fred was. That consistent day-in, day-out service to our Kaddish Baruch Hu. When we would go to shul, when we were here in the morning, it was like clockwork. I don't know if he was ever late. <laughs> and years ago, when we would go to Davin at the old shul on University Boulevard, the Young Israel building there, it appears as if time they would actually struggle for a minion in the morning. But Fred was there. But there was more to Fred. He was a Ben Aliyah. He was certainly an Eved Hashem, but he didn't stagnate in his service to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As Esther mentioned, in his early years, he wanted to get closer to Hashem and to have a deeper appreciation of learning Torah. Then on his own, he actually took this grammar book and a dictionary to learn to read more fluently, to enable to learn Torah and to bring him closer to Hashem. And through the years, we saw this progression of growth in his learning and Torah knowledge. And he actually, as was just mentioned, occasionally would give the shir in halacha in the shul. And in his later years, after he retired, he wound up spending more and more time in the yeshiva gedola here, sitting and learning and attending shurim. It was just an amazing, extraordinary progression of growth in his life of, turning, of, of, of learning Torah and coming closer to Hashem. 
These past number of years were quite challenging and difficult for him and Esther. And Esther, we were all in awe of the way you took care of him. But Esther, you did more. My brother Yaakov, just got here. <laughs> he gave a beautiful explanation of the Chazal of Ezehu Ishak Sheira Misha Oser Baila. We normally understand the Chazal that who is an Ishak Sheira? The woman who does the will of her husband, which you, Esther, certainly did. But he gave a little spin to the understanding of this Chazal. He said, you enabled, you directed, and you made, you enabled the will of your husband. He saw you, and he, he, you encouraged him to learn Torah and to come closer to Hashem. Because Esther, that's what your life is all about. The master mechaneches, with your emuna and betachon, you impacted Fred's life greatly, and you enhanced his life. You impacted Margaret and Mark's lives. You impacted the Linzer Wasser family. You impacted so many students through the years, and you continue to impact the community in a very significant in a very significant way. That we see that they love you and they revere you, and rightfully so. Hashem should give you the strength to continue with Gesund to impact so many people. And Asher Zelig, Ben Ramosher, Meir's Lofty Neshama should have an Aliyah. He should be a Melitz Yosher for your, all your needs, all of the family's needs, all of the community's needs, and all of Kla Yisrael. He's a Chobar. Rangel, the Rosh Kola, who she's great Washington. Baruch Hashem, a lot of th- thoughts have been shared. I would like to talk more on a personal level. Dr. Jadav and I have a very beautiful friendship. Um, came, we, we moved here in 1997 and I think Dr. Jadam joined this year in 1998 if I recall correctly so uh, Yeshiva Gadol started two years prior to that and I was brought in as a second Rebbe most of the buffer went to Rebbe Lepiansky's year a few boys went to my year all of a sudden there's this elderly gentleman who asked can I join this year uh, I said, fine with me. Um, and I assumed he had backgrounds, he had background in learning, because he wanted to join a, a yeshiva gadol Shir. And uh, he never abused me of that in any way. That, that wasn't true. Uh, not that I knew there was a formal education, but I see clearly he had worked on it to the point that he was able to do that. And he was there every day. And he was there every day on time. And he's there every day on time, even when one day we decided there's not going to be shear because the boys didn't show up. Why? He was there, so the shear was just for him. Um, and I learned very early on I have to call the house and inform him in case there's not going to be shear because he's going to be there no matter what. Um, and he was totally engaged. He, had prepared, he would prepare beforehand, he would prepare at home. And he would spend clearly a large amount of time preparing to be able to follow the shear. Getting used to my, my yeshiva language was, was a little bit of a challenge for him at the beginning. Uh, he would stop me and ask me, and that was fine. And then he would review the shir, because the next day he'd walk in, oh, Rabbi, I was thinking about what you said yesterday, I have a question. And this went on every single day. And I was thinking about what you said yesterday, and I have a question. And it was great. And this went on the yeshiva cycle. We go through the masechtas over a period of six years. He was in my share for a full six-year cycle. Went through all of the masechtas that we covered. And then he asked me, what about, can you join up the Lepianski share? I said, yes. 
So he, he went up to the next level after six years. We graduated up to the next level, level and he joined Rebel Lepiansky's year. I think he fil- finished a full cycle by Rebel Lepiansky as well. Um, at one point in time, I actually took over Rebel Lepiansky's year, and then he was confused. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying at a different level. At that point in time, I think he wasn't able to come anymore. That was, that was during the weekdays. And this is five days a week. Then he started diving Yeshiva on Shabbos. Uh, and there's a Kumashir Shabbos morning. And that's when you would come with, with the, the, sit into that, 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 that class. And he would ask questions, which was okay. It wasn't standard. It was okay. He would pipe up the questions during the class. Um, a lot of times he would write till afterwards in deference that most people were keeping quiet during this year. But he was interested in learning and knowing. And I, I was always convinced that he had this yeshiva background. And I only found out during the shiva that that was not true. So that tells you how much he had accomplished on his own to be able to come to a high level, it wasn't a high school shiva, this is a post-high school shiva, this is a graduate level shiva. And he is following this year, and he's preparing, and he's, he's doing it. I heard him get many times the, the Mishabura, and again, I saw the level of understanding was, was impressive. Over the years, we started talking. I started schmoozing because, you know, I, he was my, my oldest Talmud. Um, and uh, when I first came, I didn't have a white beard, believe it or not. Um, and it was a little bit, it was, it was somebody that I looked up to, it was a role model to the boys. So here's a person who was there all the time. And it can't not make, a, make leave an impression on these young men how important learning is. And he was clearly engaged. He never like, was mind wandering during Shira, as you would expect a 19, 20 year old, excuse me, might have. He was with me, he was focused, he was on top of me. Um, so I would just sometimes throw a question out to him because I knew he had a background in different areas and I would ask him questions. He started asking me questions as well. And so we started starting schmoozing. Uh, I'm a fairly good schmoozer. And uh, so uh, we became uh, friends. And uh, I think when he started coming to Yeshiva for Shabbosim, for the Shurim, that was part of it as well. I think he felt not only the learning, but the friendship. And he started having the Bacham over for, for, for Shabbos. Um... And he made himself a place in the yeshiva. And then I realized that this was his dream. His dream wasn't just to learn, it was but to be, be part of a, a, of a community, of a group of people which their focus right now is just learning. They're not doing anything else in their life right now, but they're in the, in the, in the growth mode to become better people, understand better. I would say, say halachas. He would ask me about it. He would want to get it clear. How do I know that? Where did it come from? And we would discuss different things along the way. Um, I would come to the house once a year. Uh, in those days, I would, I had the schus to take one of the people who was coming come to tells yeshiva to the house, and we would come every year to visit to stop in to to get a donation for tells yeshiva, uh, my alma mater, and we had this wonderful visit over there. And then when we stopped, when Fred stopped coming, I would start visiting the house occasionally. I wish I'd come more. And we had this wonderful time learning, learning together. And, and Esther would always sit there also. There was such a thing as just, you know, she wanted to be part of the conversation. I realized that the two of you were a team together doing this. So what are you leaving with? What am I taking away? Um, what was the, the lessons that Usher Zell and Ben Mershomero Levy left us, left me? Uh, I spent many years in yeshiva. I was able to be in yeshiva, and he wasn't able to be in yeshiva. Uh, Learning is important to me. Learning was important to him. That I had the advantage. I had learned to appreciate my advantage. That I had something which he never had. And how much that meant to somebody who didn't have it, how much he's going to seek that out and find that opportunities. And the Russian sent him an opportunity like, into his lap. I think that the reason why it happened, if you want to know why the sheep was able to move to Silver Spring, it's probably the school of Fred Jad. Right? He wanted that opportunity, and the Russian sent it to him that it wasn't embarrassing to ask a question in front of people which are much younger than you. It wasn't embarrassing to say, I don't know. I don't understand. Please repeat. And I'm not, during the show, I would ask for feedback. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And he would say, no, I don't. Please repeat. 
It wasn't beneath his dignity to go learn with somebody who was much younger than him. He had tremendous covered for Lapiansky and myself, even though we were much younger than him. Um, and saw the deference the way he would talk to me. And I was looking at him as a friend, and he's looking at me as a Rebbe. The way he respected the young men, the lessons he respected the young men because these boys are learning Torah. And he appreciated them, and he felt they were special, and he gave that message to the boys, and the boys reflected that back. There was a simcha that he had when you, in life in general. Life was exciting to him. Life was interesting to him. I, I did not know what, his, what he was doing in the afternoon that he was going out to college, but I was not, I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Life is about knowledge. Life is about understanding. Life is about growing, thinking, under, challenging, wondering. And he wasn't just saying that, but he was living it. And it came across in his excitement. And uh, it was a schus for the yeshiva, a schus for us to be part of that. Be part of that. I want to mention one other, a few other points, which I didn't, wasn't personal in that sense. Once in a while I would have to go to the early minion uh, for carpool issues, etc. for those who deserve to have the will of carpool. Right? Those days of the week you have to get the early, earliest minion. And I would come, and I would come early because I happened to dive on more on the slower side. Um, and that minion happens to go on the faster side. Um, and I had worked out exactly how much I had to start beforehand to be able to get to Shmanesri at the same time as the show. I see Larry is smiling over there. Right? Um, and Fred was always there. Fred was always I was there, I think one of the first people there. I would come usually 15 minutes, at least 15 minutes prior, and he was there already. The show was open. I think one time I got there and the show wasn't open yet, I had to wait for him to come. To meet in Kisidrum, always on time, always there. Davening was important. Um, when he would come to the yeshiva, the boys would pick him up. We had to switch them. They had to be there because he had to be sure he got the yeshiva on time, etc. The organization, the boys had to come beforehand to try out, to make sure they knew how to do it in a way which was safe, that he should be able to be safe, to do it safe, safely. And these were lessons which I think that we were we, we didn't think about so much. They were just like, they were normal. That was obvious. And you start reflecting back, it's not so obvious. It's not so normal. It's not so average. And he enriched our lives. He enriched our lives tremendously. Uh, I can think, I can speak for members of the community as well to say that as a friend, as a person in the community, as a person who took Ephraim, as the Gabi of the Minion, as a person who learned, a person who taught, a person who grew, a person who questioned, a person who challenged, a person who grew. We saw that. We absorbed it. And he left a little bit of us, a little of himself in all, in all of us. So he's went on to his, his reward. He went down to the to, to the and his, to his reward. And every day, he's getting another package from this world, of all the schusim that he left behind, the impact that he left on all of us. Every day there's a knock on, the, on his kuppa, there's a package of jewels being sent from down here to all the people who are inspired and affected and are different people because of him. So we see that this memory, these memories, even if they're not in the forefront of our minds, and they're not obvious, they're not clear to us, the lessons, the lessons have been absorbed and we take those with us. And they do, and they have, and they will. As is Hashem, and it will be turned to schools to either be in Shama. And Yisrael, that this community should always continue to grow and learn from people like that. And Yisrael, there are many more people in our, in our midst which are such role models for all of the community. Thank you. Last grade, Yosef Linzer, nephew, to make the seum and the Mishnayos learnt as a mirror for Dr. Jadot and Shama. Baruch Hashem, that the, uh, we were able to learn actually for the Mishnayas of Shisha Sidra Mishnah. Most of the Mishnayas actually were quickly taken by um, members of the family. The yeshiva helped out with uh, the remaining, but the, the remainder, but uh, Baruch Hashem, it was able to be done uh, mostly by the family. The, so the end of all of Shisha Sidra Mishnah is uh, Mesechus Uktsin. And the last Mishnah in Uktsin really sums up and gives us something to end with, uh, all of, learning all of Mishnayas. 
says, Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Asir HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lahanche Lechot Tzadik V'Tzadik Sholosh Meos V'Asar Olamos. That Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says that in the future, in Olam Haba, Hashem is going to give to each Tzadik 310 worlds. That are, it's like 310 times this world they'll get in pleasure and in Olam Haba. That I will inherit to those who love me, Yesh, which is Yesh, Bigamatria is Shud and Yud, that's 310. And their storage houses I will fill. And so the, the Mishnahis ends with us with this. The, the Bartanur explains to tell us the reward of Tzadikim who have learned the Torah and fulfilled it. And as we have heard, I think, very much over here, how Uncle Fred is someone that did that. He fulfilled the mitzvot, was very careful in them, spent a lot of time learning, and to a great extent was self-taught in that. And the mission is telling us the great reward that he's going to have. And what does it say? It brings the pasuk, to those who love me, right? Because only someone who loves Hashem will put in that time and that effort and do it so consistently, as was said. Yesh. What's yesh? Yesh means something, an existence. Hashem says, I'm going to give them a true existence, an olam haba. This world is temporary, but they will get the true reward in olam haba, which is the true existence. And finally, the Mishnah concludes, all of Shas concludes, Amr Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta, that Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta says, Hashem wants to give so much good to the Jewish people, that's what he wants. That's he created us to give us good. And he said, the, th- the kli, the vessel that is going to hold that bracha, that's going to be, re- to be able to receive it, is shalom, is peace. Shinamar, Hashem ozam Hashem shalom. Hashem gave strength to his nation. He gave us, the Torah gave us strength. Hashem will bless his nation with peace. And as the Gro explains, you, know, you, have a, you can have a barrel that's made out of boards, out of slats. If there for that barrel to hold something, the slats have to be tightly coupled, tightly um, have to be tight together. If there's space between them, then you won't be able to put anything, any liquid in that barrel, just pour out. So the Jewish people, only when they're tight together, and they're a unit, and there's peace between them, can Hashem give us that peace, that, to give us that bracha, that, that blessing, and, and, and all the good that He wants to give us. And certainly, like, we'd come... In fact, it was one of our uh, trips uh, for Cholamoid, and even during the summer, to come and visit Aunt Essie and Uncle Fred with the family. You know, it was like, that was our Cholamoid trip, in fact. Everyone looked forward to it, and especially Aunt Essie's then giving us food afterwards. <laughs> and it can't go away without food from a Jewish home, right? Uh, but when we'd come, Uncle Fred would be very interested in what each, each of my children was doing, what I was doing, what was happening with us, you know, he was just showed a lot of concern and, and, and interest in who and in what was going on with us. In fact, I do remember also that um, one, one of the few, uh, few times ago that we came, I think a cousin of his um, had called who had recently lost her husband. And like they said, okay, I have to take this call. I have to talk to her. You know, she needs some chizik. I have to talk to her, make her feel better, feel more comfortable. And, and as we as also have heard, you know, about the shalom that he that he would engender by visiting people, by welcoming Mishulachim, and, and making them feel comfortable. That generates that shalom in, in the Jewish people, and that allows Hashem to do what He so much wants to do, which is to give us bracha, to give us good and blessing. Hadron Allah Shita Sidra Mishnah, Hadra Khalan, Daitan Allah Shita Sidra Mishnah, Daita Khalan, Lasisnashiminach, Shita Sidra Mishnah, Lasisnashiminan, Lobama Dain, Lobama Dasi. Hadron Allah Shita Sidra Mishnah, Hadra Khalan, Daitan Allah Shita Sidra Mishnah, Daita Khalan, Lasisnashiminach, Shita Sidra Mishnah, Lasisnashiminan, Lobama Dain, Lobama Dasi. Hadron Allah Shita Sidra Mishnah, Hadra Khalan, Daitan <laughs> 
by the way, I think this really, as we've heard, represents Uncle Fred. I'm running, they're running, get up, getting up early, we're running and getting reward. They're not getting the true reward. We work, put in that effort to learn, to do mitzvos. It's really, uh, really what it's about. just while people are still standing, we'll just say the Kiyomali prayer. we, we wish Mrs. Jedek and Margaret and Mark, all of the relatives, all of the friends and all of the admirers, much, much consolation. And as has been said, may we all continue to do things to accrue many merits to the Neshama of Usher Zelig ben Moshe Meir Halevi. For those who would like, there's going to be a mincha minion in the room behind the wall, right in that door. We'll say mincha will start in five minutes. <laughs>